Well, I join, thank you, Kevin. I join with what uh, Nathan said at the beginning. Isn't it amazing that we get to do this together, that we get to hear those words as I heard Alina singing those about the mercy of God and just the significance that is to think that God has called us in a way that is unique and different from any other system, any other religious uh, connection that the world has ever known comes to us through a God, a Lord, a, a Savior who would be willing to come to us directly and personally with this message of reconciliation. As you know, we're in this study together in Philippians. Philippians is a New Testament letter to the church at Philippi, a church that the Apostle Paul had established, along with many other men and women who helped him do that. And he finds himself 10 years later, after the establishment of that church, chained to a Roman guard in a Roman prison, probably under house arrest. And he's writing back to that church and writing forward to this church a central message, and that message is one of joy. That what God longs for us to know and experience is joy, His joy. A joy that can come from being reconciled with God, but also with one another. Along with that, we're also celebrating this season of Lent. We're going through this time. TC reminded us earlier of the readings we were doing week to week to again hear the story, the gospel story of the message that Jesus came to not only preach, but to came, he came and embodied this message. He is this message. He came to be this message for us. And in so doing, you're gonna learn before we finish today that he intends for us to be the message, to be the ambassadors of this message in the world, in the culture in which we live. Whether we're here in Longwood in Central Florida all the way to folks who are gathered all around the world, uh, from Washington to Florida, from Arizona to New York City, I was looking at the places where you are, uh, from correctional facilities, from gatherings all over the place, including our, our wonderful folks up here in Access Ministries. Wherever we are geographically, there is a call spiritually to be one, to be one, the body of Christ. Reconciliation is the way that happens. And so we're combining these over the next few weeks to finish up Philippians, but also to celebrate this Lenten season. And so my assignment for you today, with you today, is I have three verses to cover. Uh, they keep my, my assignments minimally uh, here. Uh, I have three verses to cover with you. It's the first three verses of Philippians chapter 4. What's interesting about this text is that the first verse of chapter 4, you know, this is not necessarily the way Paul wrote this letter. He didn't put it in, in chapters and, and verses. Paul wrote a letter to the church there. And actually the first verse of chapter 4 really concludes a thought that Paul finish, it begins in chapter 3 of Philippians. And so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there now. Uh, you can also, it'll be on the screen, it's in your worship guide. But let me just remind you of the things that Paul has said right at the end of Philippians chapter 3. And I hope you'll read along just to make sure we're not making this stuff up. But at the end of chapter 3, he reminds the church at Philippi that there is a different kind of people in the world who have a different kind of destiny 
than they have. And he, and he describes it, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for, wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. And he has a few other things to say, but that is just such a powerfully rich statement that I just want you to think about it for a second. He will transform our hum the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. And then from there he says, um, by the, by the uh, exertion of the power that he has given to subject all things to himself. Pastor Matt taught us about this last week, to subject all things to himself. And then his concluding statement to this incredible perspective is found in Philippians 4.1, where it says this, therefore, because of that, therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then this would be a place, and Paul does this, Pastor Matt and I were talking about this this past week, that you know, you get so deep into the study of a, of a letter like this and you start picking up things that Paul did that were just, that were some, somewhat amusing in a way because it's like he is writing this letter to them and he, and he comes to a place where it would be a natural stopping point for the letter. Because right here, after saying, therefore, you know, and, and my beloved, it would be a place to say, you know, yours truly, Paul. But then he thinks of something else that like, oh yeah, while I got you, you ever do that when you're on the phone with somebody and, you're, and you think they're done, they, oh yeah, while I got you, let me just tell you this. And so Paul does this one of those, hey, while I got you here, he says this, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I'm like, where did this come from, you know? Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is somewhat a separate thing altogether that Paul is doing in these couple of sentences with them. Because picture this for a moment. Picture that you're sitting here in this room and somebody up here like me is, is preaching away and, and all of a sudden, you know, you think I'm about done and then I turn and I say, oh yeah. And Dale, you and Sean, you need to work out that thing that's going on between the two of you. And everybody's like, what just happened here, you know? Because, it can, it, because what's clear is that Paul is not pointing out a doctrinal issue in between these two women, because he's never shy about pointing out doctrinal issues when he writes to the churches. He's not talking about a moral issue between these two women, because Paul is never shy to name moral problems in the church. Paul is talking about two women who are leaders of the church, have established this church, have been instrumental in the establishment and the building up of this church. They are leaders who are recognized and known, and they've gotten sideways with each other over something. 
that Paul doesn't even mention what it is. He just knows they're sideways with each other and he's thinking, you two women are mature enough to sort this out and to figure this out and you need to do it. And so here's why. Because here's the thing, Paul's message here, the scripture's message in this letter is joy. That what God longs for us is joy. What Paul is saying to the church at Philippi and the church here at Northland is joy is your goal. Joy is your gift. You know, pursue that joy. But you know what will always rob you of your joy in relationship? Getting sideways with somebody. Getting to a place of discord with somebody. Discord will always rob you of your joy. And so Paul's thinking, hey, before I sign off on this letter, I just need to tell these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, that they need to get this fixed, this issue between them. Because no doubt what was happening, we don't know much from the context, but we know it's not moral, it's not doctrinal, because Paul would have said that. But we know that Paul is saying, this is going to rob you of your joy, because the people p pick sides, don't they? when people get sideways with one another. People pick sides, and so Euodia likely had her camp, and Syntyche likely had her camp, and so pretty soon you've got this thing that happens where division comes in, and that will rob you of your joy every time. How many of you are sideways with somebody in your life? No, I'm not gonna make you do that. Because probably all of us would raise our hands. There's somebody probably in every one of our lives where we just feel this, eh, there's just this, this thing, you know. I, I don't know exactly what it is. It's just this thing, you know. I just try to go down other hallways when I know he's coming down this hallway. You know, I just, I don't know, it's just this thing, you know. And this can happen in the most uh, minuscule ways in our lives. It can also be something that I've got people in my life, I've thought about it a lot this week, that something is just a little off and I can't even remember what it was that got us there. I can't even remember, you know? You ever have that happen where you're like, I don't know how we got this way. Remember that old song, you know, there ain't no good guy, there ain't no bad guy, there's just you and me, and we just disagree. How does that happen that we forget how that works in our life? Well, what it requires is, first of all, just realizing it's true, it does happen. I had this happen to me yesterday. Uh, I had uh, been kind of living this sermon all week and working through and thinking about and praying about these three verses. I've just got three verses to talk to you about. How hard can that be? You know, and I've been thinking about it. But yesterday morning, I came over here and I had to put it together in a form and so I can get it to our technicians for the words that go up here. And I got all sideways on it and I thought, maybe this should come first. I don't know, that should come first. And I just got confused of what I was doing. And so I decided to do what almost always clears my head, and I went back home, and I took a bike ride. And I've got this bike route back in the neighborhood behind the one I live in. And there's, I have a relationship with someone in that neighborhood back there. Uh, it's, it's a black lab that's about this big. And the relationship that we have is he's always loose, and so am I. And, and, uh, I was, yesterday was no exception, I was riding this route that I ride to get to the trail over uh, the Seminole County Trail, and I go by that house, and I was frustrated 
as I was riding by, I was listening to my I was listening to Chris Stapleton to clear my head, you know, and uh, and I'm riding along, and I know you're not supposed to listen to music while you ride your bike. I don't do that on big roads. Just don't write me, uh, and don't judge me. Uh, but <laughs> I'm a little defensive today. You can tell. But so. I'm riding by, you know, and, and here's the deal that I have with this dog. This, I like to ride my bike. This dog likes to chase me on my bike. And so uh, yesterday, you know, and usually I'm okay with that, you know, because it helps me with sprints. You know, I'll ride, I'll ride a little faster, you know, and gives him a little exercise, me a little exercise. And usually it works out just fine. And, but yesterday, I was just a little bit on edge, and I'm riding along, and, 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 here, and he's laying there, and some days he doesn't even chase me. Some days he, he just lays and watches me. But yesterday, I think he had had a little extra rest, and, and he uh, sees me coming, and sure enough, he gets up, and he starts walking out toward the road, you know, and he waits till I get right about there, and then just, rah, 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 rah. I mean, he's just after me, you know, just, you know, snapping like that. And it just was a little too much for me, you know? And so I rode for just a little bit further, and he's running along, nipping, nipping, you know? And, and I just thought, not today, not today. So I start slowing my bike down. I stop my bike. I get off my bike. I got the bike between me and him, you know? And I'm just looking at him like, and I just said to him, not today. You're not going to do this today, you know? And he just look, he stops as well. You know, it startles him, and he lo he's looking at me like, wait a minute, I thought we knew how this works. <laughs> I mean, it's really, I mean, he didn't say that, but it was kind of like, what he, the way he was looking at me, he, he's never actually said anything to me, just <laughs> for the record, but just didn't want you to think I was totally lost it. But um, so I stood there for a minute, and I'm just looking at him, and, and he sits down, you know, right there on the street. And, we, and I'm wanting to have a, a, a stare off with him. I'm wanting to just stare him down, you know. And, and, but he won't look at me. And so first he does this. He literally turns his head this way. And then he turns his head this way. And then he just kind of puts his head down. Don't go off of him. Don't do that. He was wrong. He was wrong in what he was doing. And so I stood there for a minute and he wouldn't look at me. And so I just said... So you see how it is, right? You know? And so I get back on my bike, and I start riding away, and, and I'm just about to get out of, his, out of sight, and I turn back, and he's literally still just sitting there in the road. Like, what happened here? You know, what happened here? And as I was riding away, I was just thinking, man, doesn't, isn't that the way it goes sometimes? You know, you, you're going along with, and you think you know the rules in the relationship you have with somebody, and then, and then one day you're just a little frustrated and something happens and the same, same deal happens that has happened many times before, but it just kind of sends you over the edge this time. And then all of a sudden it changes and it can change forever. Me and that black lab, we'll never have the same relationship that we had before. That's changed forever. I don't know what's going to happen the next time I ride by there. But it'll never be the same because of what happened then. But we do that with each other when we get sideways with one another because discord robs us of our joy. And here's something I've, I think is true all the time. That once someone has robbed you in some way or you've turned over your joy to them, 
through one of those kind of things, it's really, really hard to get it back. And sometimes it never gets back. I look around this room, and I know some of the stories in this room of how that's happened in some of your lives. And I know some of you that are still trying to figure that out. Will it ever get back there? And sometimes it just doesn't. But if we can learn anything from this text that Paul is sending to the church, it's this, that we have to try, that we don't ever have the option of just saying, well, you know, we'll never be the same, and so we have to leave it there. We have to try. As much as it's up to you, you are to live at peace with all men and women, as much as it's up to you. And so we always have to try, because discord will rob you. This was Jesus's prayer for us in John 17. Jesus prayed these words to the Father. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Do you see why this matters? Because when Paul is writing to Iodia and Syntyche, it was not just what was going on between the two of them that mattered, but everyone who was looking in at what was going on between them. And the message it sent was one of disunity and discord into the life of the church. And so for us, it's not just what's going on between you and me that matters. It's not, church, what's going on between us as a church that matters alone. But it's the whole culture that looks in at the church and says, those people don't get along with each other. How can we trust them to have anything to say about how any of the rest of us should live our lives? Jesus prayed for us as individuals that we would get along but it's also the message that our unity sends to the rest of the world that matters. That's why it matters so much. And do you know what separates us most of the time when, from one another is literally the dogma that we have in our lives? Do you know what dogma is? I'm not just trying to make an, an allusion to the uh, story about the dog. I just told you dogma is a real word. And, and dogma is when we have a set of principles or ideas that are incontrovertible, that we say these can never change. Nothing can become more important than this principle in my life. That is great when it has to do with your relationship to God and holding you fast to him. It's not great in broken relationships, in relationships at all, because it's dogma in our life that will prevent us from reconciling with other people in our lives. Anytime my principles, regardless of how noble they may be in my own mind, separate me from, some, from another human being, someone who is an image bearer of God, the Imago Dei that Pastor Matt talked to us about a couple of weeks ago, when we are separated from other, other people because of a principle, that's dangerous ground. I'm not saying there are not things to lay down your life for. There are. But you know what I'm saying here, I think, if you'll, if you'll think about it, if you'll step away, if you'll curb your dogma just for a moment and think about this. 
there are principles that are not of God, but they become significant to us, and we stand on those principles. They are reflected, and I know you're going to write me about this, so I'm ready for it. But there are principles that we would put political party above a brother and sister in Christ and say that that matters more than, than, my, than the image of God that's right in front of me. That's dangerous. That's dogma. And that will keep us from unity. It will keep us from reconciliation in our world, even in our church. It's the kind of dogma that Jesus came to put aside. He addressed it directly with the religious leaders of that day to say, you remember the story where Jesus and his disciples go out and pick up grain on the Sabbath and he gets criticized for it? They would have said, that's a principle. We've, we've staked our life on that principle. And Jesus said, that principle doesn't matter as much as these people need to eat. And so I'm not, again, it's one of those dangerous places we can go. There's also, you know, we're in the middle of one of these situations right now in our country where with this shooting in South Florida, tragic, and, and we're grieving over that. But we turn it into this thing of, of whose voice is the loudest and what's the principle I'm going to stand on about this or that, when actually what matters here is violence in our country. And the fact that we as the body of Christ should be praying for peace in our country, should be the ambassadors of peace. Again, I know you're going to write me about this, but you know what, I've, what I have been so moved by is what young people are doing in response to this. I read an article yesterday in the Washington Post where the, a writer, uh, uh, Steve Levinston, described the various significant social and cultural changes that have happened down through the last 60 or so years, and how often it's been young people who led the way in the change that came. He starts with 1963 in the Children's March for Civil Rights, and Bull O'Connor with fire hoses and German shepherds is trying to deter those, and when those images came through our television sets, you know, I was a kid then, when those images came through our TV sets into our living room and we saw children, young black children, marching and being repelled the way they were, it changed in my house. It changed my parents. And it changed me in seeing it because children were leading the way. I've been really impressed and moved by what some of the young people are saying in response to this shooting in South Florida. And church, I'm not trying to tell you what position you should take on any one of these amendments or anything else. I'm just saying they're our first priority. Those children are the priority, not your principles, not your dogma on this issue. And for us, we need to raise our, the level of our conversation on this and think about what we're actually willing to stake our lives on. And it's much more significant than the things that you hear the most chatter about. And, and just raising our voices on this is not going to do anything about the problem we have. And first we have to acknowledge we have a problem 
with violence in our country. Where does that come from? I think it comes from this same place of we get sideways with one another and then we're not willing to be reconciled to one another. And here's the way that, that, that Paul writes to the church that reconciliation works on a national level, on a personal level, but certainly on a spiritual level. It's in Philippians 2. We covered it some weeks ago. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Unity and like-mindedness is not the same thing. We can, within unity, we can agree to disagree. But being like-minded means something far higher, something far more significant. Being like-minded means that our minds are focused on the mind of Christ. I want the mind of Christ working in and through me. I want that for you as well so that we become like-minded as a result of where our focus is, not on our dogma, but on Jesus himself. And then if you're moving toward Jesus and I'm moving toward Jesus, I think we'll sort out the rest of this stuff. I think like Euodia and Syntyche, we'll figure the rest of this stuff out. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus had just given us one simple statement that would clear all this up for us? Well, turns out he did. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, all the law and all the prophets hang. Isn't that amazing that he would make it that clear, simple, but not easy. If it were easy, we would all be doing that right now. But instead, we gravitate toward things that we think matter more. So just like discord will rob you of your joy, dogma will prevent you from reconciling with your brother and your sister. But there's another part of the issue that we have to figure out and sort out. And that's who's going to help us do this. Because again, for most of us, if we're sideways with somebody, if we're in a disagreement with somebody, if we could have figured it out, we probably already would have figured it out. And we don't. We live in a culture where that's not easy to do anymore. And so there is an aspect of which delegation comes in to play here. All of us know that we oftentimes need a third party in our intervention for reconciliation. In this case, Paul identifies a third party, true companion. We don't know who this true companion is. It could be one of the people that have worked and traveled with Paul. We don't know. It could be Aphrodite. We don't know. It could be someone who's actually, that's their name. In Greek, it just translates into true companion. We don't know. There's someone, though, that Paul appeals to to help these two women, these two leaders, these two pillars of the church to come together and work this out. 
And we need that many times. You know, we have a process that has been developed years ago by Ken Sandy and other, others called Peacemakers. And there's actually a Peacemakers class here at Northland. It starts Tuesday, March 6th. And Ty and Pam and others lead through this process that, that helps us, that can help people who are in conflict with one another learn how to be reconciled to one another. But let me tell you that what reconciliation always requires is direct intervention, direct contact with the person with whom you are having the difficulty. No one can ever negotiate or, or create an environment where you and another person are going to live in harmony without you being involved directly in it. It just will not work. This is modeled most effectively and most purely by Christ himself. Christ came to do this for us. You saw those verses on the screen. Under him, he has pulled all the isolated and broken parts of the universe into himself, including us. And so that we are made one because of him. He is the one who personally came to reconcile us. You have to personally go if you're going to be reconciled to your brother, to your sister. And if you're wondering, well, wouldn't it be great if Jesus had just given us some simple instruction of how to do this, of how to be reconciled to my brother, my sister? Well, turns out he did. In, in every situation you can imagine. So what if you've sinned against someone else? I'm going to skip ahead. I'm just telling my friends up in the booth there to Matthew 5, 23. And so Jesus says this, so if you've sinned against someone else, then if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, it's almost like Jesus is saying, you know what, you have to go get it straight with him before you can get it straight with me. It's hard, because wouldn't it just be better if I could just say, Jesus, would you take care of this situation? Would you just turn his mind around so that he can see that I'm right and he's wrong? Wouldn't that just be a whole lot easier to do? And then he comes to me and, and we're all okay. But, but there's a, an epiphany in this for you. And there is a, a joy in this for you to see this work in your life. What about if it's the other way around? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, then go and tell the church and everyone else that will listen to you of how wrong they are so that you can hold them up to ridicule before everyone. No, it doesn't say that at all. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, which is the goal, which is where the joy is found. But it's hard. It's much harder. What keeps us from doing this? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus just told us what keeps us from being willing to do this? Well, it turns out he did. 
In Matthew chapter 7, he says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's a part of Peacemaker, the Peacemaker book in class that says, the first question you should ask yourself in a conflict, is there any part of this conflict for which I am responsible for it? I hate that question. I don't wanna think about that. Is there any part of this conflict that I'm responsible for? So that's taking that log out of my eye first before I come looking for the speck in yours. And you know what, a lot of times when I go through that process and think about that for myself, there's no more conflict. It gets resolved right there. I still have to go and tell them that. But a lot of times that resolves it in and of itself because we inverse the question instead of what's wrong with you. I start with what's wrong with me? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in a commentary on the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, you remember that story where, that, that Jesus told uh, of the man that's beat up and three different people go by him, a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan? And Dr. King said that, that the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Brothers and sisters, that's the question that the church should always be asking. That's our mission in this world. We're the ambassadors of this. And so if we try to delegate that to someone else, then we'll miss the epiphany the pers of being able to see God at work in that relationship, in that moment. Don't miss that. Don't miss the joy that comes with that. Show up, say those things. They're hard things. They're awkward conversations to have. I've had a lot of them, and they're awkward every time, especially when I'm the one who has sinned. But there is a joy in doing that that can only be found that way. And the joy is my last point. The joy is because of our destiny that we have. You remember in Philippians 3, Paul talked about the destiny of those whose God is their own flesh, their own comfort. But there is a different kind of destiny for those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. And Paul makes it clear, almost in a comforting way, Euodia and Syntyche are not, they're not erased out of the Lamb's book of life. You know, and Clement's name is in there too. And he just names them. This again is very unusual. Paul rarely name, calls people out individually to, um, I would say, rebuke them. This is a mild rebuke 
but it's an entreating thereof, so it's a somewhat of a rebuke. He, only do, he does it in Philemon. He does it in another place with the church at Corinth. But this is, this is one of maybe four or five places where he calls out people by name. But then he bookends that by using this beautiful, beautiful uh, grammatical uh, piece of art where he says, because they're names. I called you by name in the thing you need to do, because your name is in the book of life, which might be a very good reason to, to by name be called out for correction, because of where your name, where your destiny is waiting for you, you're being called to that destiny. And so when we allow discord, separation, disunity, to infect the church. We are robbed of our joy and we use our dogma to separate us from one another. We can't get past that to reconcile. And we miss the privilege, the joy of going to a person and having an awkward conversation so that ultimately we can remember our destiny of where we are called forward to be. To be, not just to live, but to be. We suffered a great loss this week in, um, in earthly terms with the death of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, nobody will ever replace who Billy Graham was in this world. God used him powerfully, and not perfectly, but powerfully. And Billy Graham was one of those guys that it is hard to find any real fault with him because of his faithfulness to the core thing that God called him to do for his most all of his adult life. And you might have seen in social media, it, trend, it was trending on Twitter, and uh, the thing that, um, that Billy Graham would often say, and, and, and it's this, that someday you'll read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I'll be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. It's a beautiful thing to say. You know what? Billy Graham, though, whenever he would say that, would always attribute that to someone else who said it before he said it in a little different way. Dwight L. Moody was the guy who said this first. Dwight L. Moody said it a little different. He said, someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's what's waiting for us. That's our destiny with our names written in that book. I met Billy Graham once, and uh, I used to work for Youth for Christ uh, here in Central Florida. And and one of the first years that we were here, we had a great team of folks, including somebody I want to mention to you just to pray for. I, he's online right now, Dave Duncan. 
who's a part of our church family. Dave, for a long time, would sit out there at the front desk and he would answer phones and greet people as they come in. And, and Dave is really sick right now. And uh, pray for him. He's a good man. But Dave was on staff with me at Youth for Christ uh, years and years ago. This is a lifetime ago. Uh, and in the, in the uh, mid-80s, uh, there was something that was accomplished here in Central Florida and Youth for Christ invited us to uh, come to Wheaton to uh, receive this award and Dave was with me on in going up there um, to get this award and it was an award that our whole team earned and we go there and there's there's a there's maybe a couple hundred other people at this gathering it's a consortium of sorts that Youth for Christ did and 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 Dick Wynn uh, was the president of Youth for Christ at, and at that time and so he was my boss and so Dick has us there in this room at Wheaton College and and we're uh, talking about various things including this award and and whatnot and and uh, Billy Graham just walked in the room uh, at the time Wheaton was establishing the Billy Graham School of Evangelism at Wheaton College, and they had him there uh, as part of this inauguration of this uh, department they were starting. So he happened to be on campus, and he heard that there was a Youth for Christ gathering, and Billy Graham was the first employee of Youth for Christ a long time ago. And so he came to see what the gathering was, and he knew Dick Wynn really well, and, and so Dick Wynn uh, is, telling, is introducing him to us, and we're just kind of across the room. It wasn't like we had some personal conversation, but uh, we, so we're across the room, and Dick uh, says something about this award and how proud he is of Central Florida for this award. And Billy Graham said, you know, he was affirming of that, but then he said, you know, guys, this is not the award you really want. And we all knew what he meant in a way that he really knows what he meant now more than he knew it then. Because he's receiving that. He's experiencing that. That's what God longs for you and I to know. That destiny that comes with an assurance here and now. And so if I could in any way implore you to consider this in your life over the next few minutes here. We're almost done. And when we leave these rooms, you probably have the tendency, like I have the tendency, to think to move on to whatever is next, whether it's the Golden Corral or it's the Wawa or it's Nature's Table. You know, now I've got you, that's all you're going to think about for the next few minutes. Whatever it is that's next for you, we tend to just kind of go on to the next thing. And it might be that God would want to awaken in you a relationship that needs reconciliation. Maybe you're Euodia. Maybe you're Syntyche. Maybe you're the true companion Maybe you're Clement, who's just kind of watching all this go down. Maybe you're someone who needs to help some people move to a place of clarity. But maybe there's an application for you in here 
that because of the difficulty of this kind of instruction in scripture, that the natural thing from flesh standpoint is just to think, I'm glad that guy's done talking about this. I'm ready to move on to lunch. And maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should pause for a moment. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell you the things that I would tell you at the very end of the service first. And then I'm going to give you a moment to just think about this for 30 seconds. It's going to seem like a long time. But just while you're getting yourself ready for that, let me just remind you of some things that are coming up. First of all, on every Sunday night during Lent, there's a healing service that takes place over in the rink. You can read about that in your worship guide. I would encourage you to consider that. Even if today you've been reminded of something that you don't quite have the wherewithal to pursue reconciliation, maybe it's a healing event that needs to take place in you emotionally or spiritually, and I endorse that to you. I also want to remind you that next weekend is going to be an amazing weekend here. It's all skate weekend, and we've got daddy-daughter dances and joy proms and serve days and worship times together. I want to encourage you to um, come and participate in that next weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of joy in, in, in what we do. And a lot of other things that go on this week, but let me now bring you back to this moment here. And tell you that at the end of the service, there'll be some folks in the front of this room if you need to pray with somebody about anything at all in your life, especially your need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. There'll be people here that can help you think through that and pray through that, and they would love to be of service to you. But right now, would you take 30 seconds and just allow the Holy Spirit to roam around in your soul for a few seconds and show you, shine some light, on maybe there's a relationship that's broken. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's someone else's fault. Maybe it's something that you know you're split, but you don't even know why anymore. And maybe he wants to show you why, but maybe he wants to move you in that direction. Would you take just 30 seconds and ponder that?